Welcome to Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written. This week we are looking at lesson number six, Laying Up Treasures in Heaven. We're continuing our journey, a 12-week journey, through the subject of managing for the Master till He comes, looking at stewardship, faith, finances, and our walk with Jesus. With us again this week is the author of this quarter's Sabbath School lesson, Ed Reed. He is an ordained minister. He is also a licensed attorney and has a great deal of experience in the area of stewardship. We're going to be looking into this lesson on laying up treasures in heaven in just a moment, but let's pray before we do. Father, we ask that you'll bless us again this week as you have in the past and as we continue our journey through this fascinating subject. We ask that you'll bless us today and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ed, welcome back once again. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here again. So we're looking at laying up treasures in heaven. I think this is a verse that many Christians have heard. We're going to unpack it a little bit, but let me start by reading our memory text here from Mark chapter 8, verses 36 and 37. Jesus says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Well, we're talking about laying up treasures in heaven. Why would a person want to lay up treasures in heaven? What's the point? What's the purpose? The real interesting thing, we read this verse before, but when, when we look at uh, Matthew six nineteen and 20, where it talks about the story, the, the investments made on this earth are not safe, but if we send them to heaven, they will be safe. Now, the, the, the answer to your question directly is this way. If you had your money, a lot of money in a bank you knew was failing, and you knew of a bank that was much stronger, what would you do? Move it. Move it over there, that's for sure. The Bible is very clear. I'm going to read this from Second Peter, the third chapter, verse 10, where it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So my home and this studio and all your stuff's going to get burned up. So would you rather have it in the bank here on somewhere on the earth, or would you rather have it in the heavenly bank? No, not much point in having it here on earth if it's all going to be turned to ashes here in the near future anyway. Everything's going to get burned up, that's for sure. All right, so laying it up treasures in heaven certainly sounds like it's a better long-term investment. I guess maybe that's one way to, to put it. And in Sunday's lesson, you're, you're focusing us toward that long-term investment in looking at Noah finding grace uh, what type of life focus is found in those who are storing up treasures in heaven? How does their perspective, how does their worldview different? How is it different from people who are storing up money here, as it were? Well, this way we're going to look at several instances from the Bible where people made decisions. That, this is amazing, Eric, where you're talking about decision, financial decisions that have eternal consequences. Very serious situations. For example, I, I mentioned earlier that Matthew 19 and Mark 10 and Luke 18 all talk about the story of the rich young ruler. Well, frequently when you talk about what God asks people to do, it's noteworthy to consider that those seeking heavenly treasure are frequently asked to do something very drastic in their life. Very, very drastic. Called upon major life-altering decisions. For example, he asked the rich young ruler, sell what you have, give to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. He offered this man a place in his inner circle if he would just uh, sell and give his money to the poor. Now, this is interesting because we'll actually have a chapter in our lessons this quarter about helping the poor. God doesn't ask everybody to, to give all their funds to the poor. But he knew this man was sold on his own possessions and he was really selfish about them. So he said that was what it would take to get the man to heaven. But he went away sorrowful because that decision was an eternal consequence. We never hear from this man again. 
Now, you, t you talk about the uh, experience of Noah, which is kind of interesting. Here's a guy who's just doing his own thing, and he's, he's probably about 450 years old, enjoying life like everyone else around him. And God comes to him and says, I'm about to, the wickedness in the earth is so great, I'm going to destroy everything. But I'm telling you about it because I want you to build a boat for me. And when you do that, we'll, whoever wants to get on the board will be saved. What did it cost Noah to build a boat? It cost him everything. It did. It cost him everything he had. 120 years of his life, all of his resources went into the boat. People thought he was crazy. Why, how did they ever know he wasn't crazy? Yeah, when the rain came. Well, right before that, there was one little final chance of deliverance, mercy, that when the ark was finished and Noah was giving his last sermon, and then something amazing happened. Animals and birds came from all directions in order, by sevens and by twos, into the ark with no one, no she sheep dogs barking at their heels or anything, coming in automatically. Anyone with a lick of sense would have recognized that God was doing this, but nobody changed their mind because you can't just think, well, I'm going to live for the, for the world most of my life, and then when I get through, I'll, I'll turn to God. That's not going to happen. What your decision we make now, now is called the day of salvation, of course. So in Noah's case, he had to change his life completely. His life was enduring the ridicule and laughter of people. They thought he was crazy, but he saved himself and his family. Sometimes I say he only saved himself and his family, but listen carefully. He saved himself and his family. Would that be enough for most of us? That's an incredible story. Noah could have spent time and resources building a home for himself, but he instead decided to do that for God, 120 years of his life. Now the interesting thing is, we're talking today, and I don't want to make too much fun of this, but we're talking about follow the science in many things in the world today. The scientists told people that it couldn't rain and the boat wouldn't float and all that kind of thing. And my question to those skeptics were, how many scientists got on board the ark? How many saved themselves? How many saved their families? We have to understand that God's not in the business of saving multitudes. He's individuals, saving individuals. And that's all of us together. As individuals, we're, we're looking for God's guidance in our lives. So Noah made that decision to believe God and to get on the ark. What was it that you think Noah possessed? What did he have? What, what did he do that allowed him to be able to make that decision when other people, well, the vast majority didn't? What was it that, that motivated Noah to move in the right direction? A good question, because it's got to be something, doesn't it? Would you like to save yourself and your family? Then this is what the plan is. That's what God told him. So he decided he wanted to do that, and so he chose God by faith. He knew it had never rained before. He knew that big boat wasn't going to be you know, way up on dry land, would never float down to the river on its own. But he had to make a decision. Is he going to follow the voice of God? This is another thing, is when you read the Bible on a regular basis, you hear the voice of God speaking to you and your family. So if you don't read the Bible and you don't know God's voice, when he comes to you like that, it's hard to know what to do. But he knew what to do, and we'll even find in two other stories in this lesson, important lessons about what to do when you hear God's voice. You know, speaking of stories to know what to do when you hear God's voice, Monday's lesson is about Abram, the father of the faithful. Abram knew God's voice, and God's voice told him to do something that went against conventional wisdom, I guess we'll put it that way. How did, how did Abram, what motivated him to leave his homeland, to, to move to a foreign country, to live in a tent for the rest of his life? Why would he make such a life-changing, life-altering decision? That's a very good question as well. This man knew the voice of God. Who among us or who of our friends would just sell everything they have or pack up what they could haul away and leave their friends and family and their resources behind and go to a foreign country? 
Well, he did that. And I'm going to give you the answer right now. The reason he did it, because he, he knew he, he looked for a city whose foundations is, and builder and maker is God. A city with foundations. And this is an amazing story because the only city in the Bible that has given the dimensions of its foundations and the, the building materials is the great New Jerusalem. He saw that in his mind. And so he was willing to leave everything, sacrifice his life, live in a tent the rest of his life. His family also lived in a tent. And Eric, this is the most amazing thing. He did not enjoy it. Didn't get it. It wasn't satisfied to him in his lifetime. He just looked in faith that it would happen sometime. So throughout his life, he never got to see the realization of what it was that God had promised him. But he was willing to, to go not just partway in, but really all in in this endeavor. A lesson there for us, maybe? Yes, indeed. Something interesting is that when we talk about rewards in the last week of the quarter, we'll talk about eternal rewards, but there's rewards in this life as well. Most people don't realize this, but in the 18th chapter of Genesis, the Lord himself and two angels came down from heaven because they were going to investigate. This is part of the investigative judgment of Sodom, as you may remember. And it's interesting that this man living in a tent was able to host Jesus Christ and two angels for supper and wash their feet. This is amazing to me. So part of his blessing, he didn't realize the ultimate end of it uh, in his life, but he did get to experience some really incredible uh, experiences that he wouldn't have been able to if he hadn't made that decision to follow God completely. Uh, Can you think of any other blessings that Abram experienced or saw or, or had or or? was able to benefit from... Sure, apparently he conversed with God regularly. And one time God told him, to step outside tonight and look up at the stars. And, you know, most of us are around a lot of ambient light nowadays so we don't see the Milky Way and all the beautiful stars unless we live in some place up in the mountains or something. But he, he looked up there and he said, God said to him, see all these stars? Your descendants are going to be like these children. Really interesting. Because when he came to him on the 18th chapter, uh, for, first of all, when God and the two angels came... He, he was disguised at first. He was just dressed as a man. And so he said, uh, well, tell me a little bit about yourself. But he did that to Abram. Well, it's just me and my wife here. But God's promised us that we're going to have children. God said, oh, really? How many do you have now? None. How old are you? Well, I'm 99. I'm almost 100. Then he said, about this time next year, this is Genesis 18, your wife is going to have a new a baby boy. And Sarah wasn't visible. She was inside the tent, but she, she laughed in her heart. That's what the Bible says. She laughed in her heart. And God said, why did Sarah laugh? But I didn't laugh. It's like being at a funeral or something. You don't want to laugh right out loud, but you laugh in your heart if you think of something funny. So she thought, this is never going to happen to me. But God said, about this time next year, you'll have a bouncing baby boy. So he had the promise of God for a child. Only one child, not star-like. But you remember, it's incredible what God can do with the faith of individual people. So he started with that one child and down through the years... You know, here we are today where God has his faithful children uh, really the, all around the world. In the millions. In the millions, easily in the millions. Uh, it's incredible. When God makes a promise, he will, he will keep his end of it. We just have to decide whether we want to keep our end of it. And that's something that we've already looked at uh, this quarter. So the story of Abram is a, is a powerful one. The story of Noah is a powerful one. And if you want to continue learning more about some of these stories, there's, of course, the Bible study lesson that we're going through this quarter's Sabbath school lesson. You can get a great deal from that. But if you want to hear more stories, gain more insight into this particular subject, 
get a better grasp of it, maybe increase your faith, strengthen your faith in moving forward and receiving some of these blessings of God, I want to encourage you to pick up a copy of the companion book to this quarter's Sabbath School lesson. It's called Managing for the Master. Ed Reed, of course, is the author of this, uh, just as he is the author of the Sabbath School lesson. And if you pick this up and read it, study it and apply what you find there to your life, you're going to find that in incredible ways, God blesses you in ways that you have never experienced before. And if you want to pick this up, it's very easy to do so. Just go to itiswritten.shop. Again, that's itiswritten.shop. And you can search for Managing for the Master by G. Edward Reed. Pick that up and you will gain some additional insights. We aren't done yet. We still have some more to go this week. And I want to encourage you that we still have about six more weeks to go. So if you're just coming across this program this week, it's not a standalone program. If you want to see how God can bless you in your finances and fix some things where maybe there are problems or you're wondering how to invest or you're wondering how to get rid of debt or you're wondering whatever it has to do with finances, you're in the right place. We're going to come back in just a few moments as we continue looking at this subject of laying up treasures in heaven. Stay with us. There's something placed by God inside the human heart, a yearning to be free. And the actions of some went beyond the page and the lecture hall to the tracks of something that became known as the Underground Railroad. Still away, still away, still away to Jesus, still away, still away home. I ain't got long to stay here. Watch Midnight to Dawn on itiswritten.tv. Welcome back to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We're continuing here with lesson number six, Laying Up Treasures in Heaven. I want to jump to uh, Tuesday's lesson, Ed. It talks about lots of bad decisions. We've looked at some good decisions that Noah made, that Abram made, and now we come to Lot's, or pardon me, to Abram's nephew, Lot. And typically when we think about Lot, we don't, we don't list him among the people who made very wise decisions. What can we learn from the story of Lot? It's a very interesting story because God always does what he says he'll do. In the call of Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis, he says, I'm going to bless you and make a great nation. I'll bless everybody that associates with you and so on. So Lot, give him credit for this, made a decision to follow with Abraham. And God did what he said he could do because in the 13th chapter of, of uh, Genesis, it says Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and gold and so on. And Lot also had tents and herds and so on. God blessed him too. Finally, they had to go, uh, uh, they had so many livestock they couldn't live close together. So Abram came to Lot and said, listen, our shepherds are arguing. We need to move away from each other. Where do you want to go? You choose first. Well, Lot's bad decision was he chose first. He should have said, well, Abraham, you're the senior man here. You choose first and I'll, do, I'll take the other one. But instead he said, there's a beautiful valley over here and a river runs through it. I'll go that way. So he, he was a wealthy man. Remember this now. 
He went, the, the last verse in the chapter 13 is, he pitched his tent, where? Toward Sodom. The next chapter has him living in Sodom. People like to go to cities for the, being near the, the mall and all the conveniences of the stores and stuff. But he lost his family as a result, as you know. A real interesting situation. He, some good choices that he made is he, he joined Abraham and he also welcomed the angels to his house when he was down in Sodom. Bad choices. He chose the best land for himself, kind of selfish. Moved his family into Sodom, a city with foundations. So his city with foundations is Sodom, not the great New Jerusalem. He, he delayed in leaving Sodom and he argued with God about fleeing to the mountains. So we're going to look and talk about some of these things that are very interesting. However, easily Lot could have justified his decision to move into this city. It has eternal and, and life-changing consequences for him. There was a time when three Elamite kings uh, ransacked Sodom and took Lot and his family captive. When Abraham heard about what happened to Lot, what could he have said? What would we say today? That's too bad. Well, sure, too bad. You chose to live down there. We have an expression here in the South that says, he made his bed, let him sleep in it. But instead, he, he armed himself. By the way, Abraham was so rich at this time that he had his own trained army, 318 people in his own household that were trained servants as, as fighters. So he joined a couple of his friends and they went and ransacked, they rescued the hostages, got all the money back that they took out of Sodom and Gomorrah, all the hostages back, and so on. Very interesting story. But here's the sad part, another bad decision. Guess what Lot did? He moved right back into Sodom. When don't we learn? These are the bad situations. Sometimes in our quest for stuff, we don't learn the lessons well. God sent messages of warning to Lot, of course, but something interesting and his family letting them know about the pending destruction. God and two angels, this is to me interesting because remember that our small decisions make up to bigger decisions. And if you make decisions about, some people say, well, you know, I'm too busy to go to prayer meeting, but when things get bad, I'll start going to prayer meeting and change my life a little bit. But you don't make decisions like that in just the spur of the moment. Lot was sitting at the city gate, which means that he was a man of distinction in, in Sodom, when the two angels came. You remember that the, the two angels had been with God, and God uh, sent them on to, to warn the city of Sodom. It's really sad that uh, Abraham had to argue with God about, or he bargained with God. This is another bargain situation, Eric, where he bargained with God about, you wouldn't, do, wouldn't destroy good people with bad people, would you? Wouldn't not the God of all the earth do right? So he says, uh, what if there were 50 good guys down there? And God said, well, for the sake of 50, I wouldn't do it. And then another interesting thing happened. He said, well, maybe what, what if there are five less? And so God did the math in his head and he said, for 45, I wouldn't do it. Then Abram started asking more. And he, finally he said, what if there were only 40? What if there were only 30? What if there were only 20? What if there were only 10? God said, for the sake of 10, I wouldn't destroy it. Now here's something amazing. God did not stop granting mercy until Abraham stopped asking. He probably could have saved it for three people, but he didn't. He stopped at 10. Meanwhile, the angels arrived down in Sodom and Lot took them to his house. Sodom was such a wicked city, it reminds us of some of today. But anyway, he entertained these people in his house. And back in those days, of course, they didn't have CNN and television and Fox News and all that stuff. So when strangers came to town, you used them for their information source, for your news information and stuff. So they were talking after supper when all of a sudden some men gathered on the front porch of his house and started banging on the door. Send those men out to us that we may sodomize them. I never understand why Lot offered his daughters to these crazy guys, but anyway, the angels smote them with blindness so they couldn't see the door anymore. And then they brought back Lot into the house and said, listen, we're not down as a salesman selling Melaleuca or something. We're out here sent from God telling you that tonight's going to be the last night on earth for this city. Now, what should you do? Do you have anybody else here, they said. Go and tell them. 
So he went to his sons-in-law. Some of his daughters had married off and he went to their homes and they said, Dad, what are you doing here this time of night? It's past your bedtime. They're up watching Late Show, of course. But he said to them, you guys are not going to believe this, but there's two angels at our house right now and they said, if we leave tonight, we'll be saved. Otherwise, we're going to get burned up. And they laughed at him and thought he was drunk. So he went home and told the angels, I'm not leaving. The kids won't leave. I won't leave either. The Bible is very clear about this in the 14th chapter of Genesis that they'd argued with God all night with the two angels as why they should not leave. And finally, they said, when the morning dawned, they grabbed hold of his hand and his wife's hand and his two daughters and left them down outside the city. So they levitated and ran over the city wall. And it was God who said on the outside, the Bible says, then he said to them, do not look back, flee for your lives. Well, then Lot started arguing with with, uh, God himself who said, flee to the mountains. And he said, See, God's standing right beside him, the creator of the universe. He said, if I go up there, some animal will get me. But he said, flee to the mountains, don't argue. And finally he said, well, Lot said, there's a little city called Zohar. Let me go over there. So God let him go over there. But his wife looked back while he was arguing with God and became a pillar of salt forever. Really a sad situation. So Lot made a bad decision of moving into a city. A wealthy man. How much did he have when he came out? He had nothing but uh, clothes but on his, his chil- children. That's it. Two children and the clothes on his back. That's all he had. And then, of course, they became the Moabites and the Ammonites as well. Sad situation. So he made the decision to, to move toward the city and, and eventually into the city. And that had an impact on the worldview of his family, uh, his wife, most certainly. She looked back and uh, evidently she had some things there. She had a home there. She had possessions. She had things on earth that were drawing her back. And God tells us to lay up our treasures in heaven. So an incredible story of Lot's life. Uh, What about Jacob? Wednesday talks about Jacob's story. What do we learn from his story? Well, in this particular case, we're going to look just mainly at the first part of Jacob's life. But God had told Rebecca, his mother, that that she would... uh, that Jacob, the younger one, would, ser- would be the leader and the older one would serve the younger and so on. But she wanted to do it her way, so she deceived the father and he, f- he had to flee. Jacob had to flee from home. Now, here's something interesting. A lot of people don't realize this. But when he fled from, from his homeland to, to Laban, his mother said, Tarry with him a few days until their brother's fury is turned away. Then I'll send for you and fetch thee. So she thought he was going to cool down and he'll be back shortly. How long was he gone? Twenty years. His mother died before he came back. He never saw her face again. By the way, interesting stuff in the read in the Bible. Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, and Jacob and Leah are all buried in the same grave, the cave of Pelah. You remember Rachel was buried along the way, but this is a kind of an interesting situation. Twenty years he had to give up and never saw his face again. But something amazing happened. When he was leaving, God is so gracious when he was running the second day away from home at night, he stopped just all out of breath. He was running as hard as he could go without you know, drinking as much water as he could and all that. He set this big stone up to hide behind and, and uh, when he fell down to sleep, I, I believe he had a prayer and he said, God, please let me come back to my homeland again and uh, don't let my brother find me sleeping. And God appeared to him and that's what we call Jacob's Ladder. The Lord appeared to him and the angels were going up and down on this stair step, staircase that led to heaven and God above was there and says, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, your father. And here's what's going to happen. I'll bring you back to this land again. The way this ends, Eric, is what I want to tell you about this story. It's an amazing story. Jacob said, this is the very house of God. I didn't know it. So he set up the, the stone and made a pillar there and called it the house of God. But then he said, uh, uh, since you're going to do all this for me, of all you give me, I'll surely give a tenth to you. 
And he said, the Lord will be my God, just like he was Abraham's God and Isaac's God. So as a young man, he made a decision, as you had said earlier, to go all in for God. This is very, very interesting. Later on, when God was talking about our next character, Moses, he appeared to him in the burning bush. You remember that bush was burning out in the desert. And he said, Moses probably seen bushes burn on lightning fires before, but he said, I think I'll turn aside and see this great sight. And a voice came out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, here I am. Take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. This is to me. And Moses said, who are you? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. From then on, God always referred to himself as the God of those three patriarchs. Incredible story. So God forgave him and brought him back to his homeland again. You know, Ed, you just mentioned Moses as the next individual we're looking at. Of course, that's Thursday's lesson, Moses in Egypt. What was it that set Moses apart for his greatness? Why did God use him in such an incredible way when he didn't choose others? It's very interesting that Moses had such a distinguished career as a lawgiver and so on, Mount Sinai receiving the law from God. A lot of people don't realize this, but on the, the gable end of the U.S. Supreme Court, on the, west, on the east side of the U.S. Supreme Court, in the center, right under the high point of the gable there, is Moses sitting with the Ten Commandments on his knees. This is at the U.S. Supreme Court building in the United States. So he's recognized worldwide as something really incredible. Moses could have been, we understand from the circumstances and the timing, a pharaoh of Egypt and all the treasures of sin for a season. Really interesting. Had he chosen that, he would probably be a, muse- uh, a mummy in the Cairo Museum today. And instead he chose to go suffer with God's people. And though this is called delayed gratification, Eric, where you put off what you could, would like to get for for a period of time. Anyway, we know he's been taken to heaven because he was with God on the Mount of Transfiguration. A very interesting story. In Stephen's sermon uh, in Acts 7, verses 20, verse 22, it says, Moses was learned in the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was mighty in words and deeds. So he was a scholar of Egyptian leadership and all of that, but he chose to suffer with God's people and then the, because he had his faith on the reward that's coming. So he was raised with a phenomenal... Um upbringing, opportunities, experience, education. But ultimately, he turned his back on all that for something eternal. It's an incredible picture, isn't it? He must have developed some kind of relationship with God because it's interesting that he spent only 12 years with his mother. Praise the Lord for that. But he never forgot that. He still thought of them as his people. So it made an, an incredible impact on his life, one that we are still benefiting from today. So this week, we've looked at laying up treasures in heaven. Ultimately, that's what God wants us to do. The, the world around you is geared toward, well, trying to encourage you to get everything out of life that you can right now. And while there are certainly some things that we can enjoy in life right now, ultimately the bigger prize, if we want to call it that, is eternity. And if we can focus our sights less horizontally and more vertically, we are much more likely to experience all the blessings that God has for us. We're going to continue next week on our journey through this quarter study, Managing for the Master Till He Comes. Until that time, pick up the companion book if you haven't done already. Invite others to watch these programs as well. And we will look forward to seeing you next week here on Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. God bless you. See you next time.